Hey y'all, welcome back. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney, and this is New Slang. I hope all of y'all have had a great week. We are closing this one out, being joined by two of my favorite songwriters, Jonathan Tyler and Joshua Ray Walker. We were able to sit down for a few minutes last Saturday evening, since they were both playing at the Blue Light that night. And that night was just a great damn time, catching up with old friends and trading new stories. Joshua even jumped up on stage and jammed with JT and company for a while to close that night out for some great Texas rock and roll. And it's really genuinely been some of the best hangs I've had all year. I will say this episode starts out a little slow, but it gets really great once we kind of all forget that those mics are placed there. And of course, when I'm able to get a couple of great songwriters and artists in the same room, The trick is just to get out of the way and let them do all the heavy lifting. Let them compare notes, if you will, which is really what happens with this one. Again, it was a great damn time. We get a little bit of info on what's coming up next for the songwriters, what they were working on during the quarantine, and a little bit of a a glimpse at their songwriting process. Again, this week, I'm parked out by a lake like 80 miles south of Dallas, so I'm going to keep this intro super short. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Sotol. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium, high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Sotol is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Soto is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus. There's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim wrangler button up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. If this is your first time listening to New Slang, New Slang is available wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere like that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave one of those five-star reviews. Tell us who we should have on the podcast in these next few months. If you're into merchandise and want to get some New Slang stuff, head on over to our merch store. That would be at New Slang Podcast.BigCartel.com. Over there, you can find coffee mugs, koozies, shot glasses, t-shirts, stickers, all kinds of stuff. Go over there and yeah, buy something. All the links that I just mentioned, they will be in the show notes as well. And yeah, let's get on into it. Here is Jonathan Tyler and Joshua Ray Walker. As I was telling him a minute ago, I think the last time I saw you guys, was in Dallas, Belmont Hotel. I was doing a story on Paul Cawthon. You were playing, and then you came in later that night. I don't even know if that's where I'm going to start off with this uh, conversation, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I remember that night. I think it was somebody's birthday party. Was it a birthday or 
Was Paul doing something? I know Paul was there. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I thought it was this guy Marco. Oh, birthday. that was Marco Bartolome's birthday. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, he lived at the Belmont. Yep. Pedal steel player. Yeah, and an uh, engineer. He does like makes the highways and stuff in Dallas. So he's got kind of a double life. That was a good party. The drummer in Ottoman Turks, the other band I'm in, he's a civil engineer too. So he goes to a day day job and then plays drums in a rock band. Yeah. More power to him. Probably smarter. <laughs> than us. Yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourselves, guys. Uh, no. Um, yeah. Well, I, you guys have been out playing together these last couple of days. Returning to West Texas, what's I think what's kind of, uh, it's not necessarily funny, but you've been trying to play this gig yes. for like probably 18 months or something like that. It's true, yeah. <laughs> the The pandemic canceled it, and then uh, we got it back on the books, and oh, I had a, an abscessed tooth, um, so we had to cancel and then we got it rescheduled and the uh, ice apocalypse happened so yes but it's finally happening that one show i canceled for my tooth i've only canceled maybe five to ten shows in the last ten years and i hate canceling shows and so we got it back on the books and i was like oh good because we got it back on pretty quick and then the entire state froze over. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> As I, I was telling him, um, yeah, we had done that podcast like the week before. And you already had your, what I remember is like you already had your power out because you were wearing like a jacket and a scarf. Yeah. Or a so or something like that. I had a pipe burst in my house back in October. Um, and so I was living out of a long stay hotel. Um, but I couldn't get any work done there. So I was working on music in my house, but my house had been gutted. Uh, like half the house had the floors ripped out and, you know, everything was gone and I couldn't turn the furnace on, uh, cause it was a fire hazard. And so I had to sit over, I was just sitting in my house and like all bundled up, uh, working on music and stuff. And then, uh, a couple months later, the whole state was in the same situation everybody's power was out yeah like this last year obviously the, sh the the entire world shuts down in some capacity you had put out your second solo record at the beginning of that ottoman turks just uh this past year back in the spring right i guess it's the we second had record. one come out in the summer yeah of 19 and, and then, then like, we just put out another one in, yeah in april yeah, yeah. And then, Jonathan, you've you've been putting out a couple of singles here and there over the last year. Um, I mean, like it's again, like everyone's been kind of stuck at home. Uh, before we hit record, you you were hinting at some of the stuff you were been working on. What uh, what have you what have you guys been doing like the last year with with this being such an unprecedented um, event? Like, what what's it been like? Yeah. as an artist where you you're not playing I mean I, I had a record pretty much in the bag that I'd done um, t like at the end of 2019 and I was planning to release it um, last 2020 but once everything shut down it was kind of like there's not really a point because mostly you know for, for me touring behind a record is kind of the thing it's like you put it out it kind of gets things cooking and you hit the road people want to hear those new songs so since there was no road stuff i was like well i'm just gonna release tracks and i'm gonna try to focus on like visual stuff because i've never really focused on videos and stuff so last year i mean i pretty much just started making videos releasing track at a time but i made three music videos and released four songs and it was kind of they were spaced out every couple months and then I was also doing like the advertising stuff that I do on the side, which is like music supervision for for 
television um, and writing songs for like Jack Daniels or Bud Light or whoever it is at the time. Like, so I was kind of doing that stuff. Did some studio stuff because I, I built a studio at my house. So I, I was doing a little bit of studio work, but really it was, it was more for myself and Nikki at the time. And um, that was really what we were doing. I mean, some of the live stream things we tried, I wasn't a really big, big fan of that, so I kind of backed off. But I just tried to make as much creative stuff as I could to stay busy, and um, that was kind of it for me. It was, it was definitely um, a year of pinching pennies and trying to, you know, not buy any extra, you know, preamps or, <laughs> or mics or anything. Like, I was just kind of, just kind of, hunkered down basically yeah you know it's not necessarily one of those things where what when you guys are out on the road you're seeing a lot of other bands play because obviously you're playing but it's a place where you're you're running into people your peers and uh opening bands and people you're opening for and festival dates and stuff like that um it's very very easy to obviously interact with other songwriters and people in bands um, with, with it being where everyone's kind of shut down and, and in their own spaces, their own homes. Um, what was it like? Uh, did you guys reach out to other people that were um, maybe not necessarily like one of those things where just, you know, cold calling people, but um, did like, how was, I guess like the interaction between, uh, other songwriters and artists or uh, did you guys kind of keep it you know in your own little bubbles if you will uh, or did you feel like that isolation is what I guess what I'm asking I mean I like there were some people that um, I kept in touch with where we were really like basically doing welfare checks on each other <laughs> you know like um Everybody was going through it. Everybody was having a hard time. Um, Josh Fleming from the Vandaliers made a point to always check on me. And, yeah, you know, you just kind of make the rounds and try to check on everybody every couple weeks or month or whatever just to make sure everyone's hanging in there and has food. And, you know, like it, there were some months in the middle there that were pretty, pretty rough. Um, but as far as, like, the community feel in the music scene, I... I mean, that was one of the things I missed the most during the pandemic. Like, I really look forward to festivals and, like, especially big festival weeks like South By or Americana Fest or whatever, um, where you where you just run into everybody, you know? Like, you get to see everybody all in one short, you know, period of time. It almost feels like going to camp or something, you know, like, where you get to see everyone. And so not being able to do that for over a year... Uh, was hard you know just, I'm a pretty social person so um you know there are a lot of people and now like every time you see someone again you're like oh man I haven't seen you uh a year and a half yep it's been a year and a half it's like you know it's just so wild to think like the majority of the people I know I, di I didn't get to see for over a year yeah it's uh I don't know like it's been interesting because they're for a minute like they're for probably about a month or so it felt like I was talking with people on the phone like all the time that I didn't necessarily even talk with um you know on a, on a usual basis even like here at the blue light or something but and that was like re really refreshing having like those afternoon phone calls or something like that mm -hmm. um granted like that also kind of transitioned into recording more of those conversations for this podcast but um I don't know like I I could very much see it where you know you just kind of if you're not talking with someone on a face to face it's very very easy to drift from texting that person or phone call or anything like that and, and even if they're someone that you would see all the damn time you know yeah yeah I'm kind of like a little bit of a recluse pretty private too so I don't really I mean like I, I go out get social around Austin and definitely when we're playing and stuff. But I mean, I just kind of hold up in the studio and worked like I kind of normally would and obviously talk to friends and stuff. But after a certain period of time, 
whenever it felt like the data and the news was like so mixed, it was like, like the first couple months was like, I was super careful. And then I kind of started getting this feeling like, I don't really know if I believe everything that's being told like over the news. Like because one day it was this, the next day it was this. And it just kind of got to where I was like, I don't really know, you know? And, and at that point I started getting a little bit looser about what I was doing. Cause I wasn't, I don't live with, with, uh, I don't see my parents that often. I don't really live with a lot of older people. So I was kind of like, you know, one of those guys that was like, I'm kind of willing to just kind of just test the waters or whatever. Be like the, you know, the, uh, like the, the rat in the experiment. <laughs> like, so I kind of started, you know, playing shows like outdoor shows and stuff, like pretty, pretty much like August, September. And, um, and then back into like indoor stuff in January. And I know like it was so funny cause I mean, I, I'm, I get into politics and I watch the news and stuff, but I'm pretty much a middle of the road like guy. Like I have a foot in both sides kind of a thing. And so when it kind of started going back out a little early, it's like all the, the hardcore like liberal people are like, Oh, you're crazy conservative, man. You're crazy. You're getting out there. And the, and the conservatives were all like, Oh, those liberals, man, they're just, they're just wusses, you know, or they just believe whatever. And it's kind of like, Man, it just got so divided between a lot of friend groups because I have friends on both sides of the, the aisle and I'm not really one of those people that like says I'm not going to be friends with somebody because they you know vote a certain way. And so that was really bizarre to me about last year, just how kind of split up people got on, you know, I went to a rodeo in a small town, kind of like right in the heat of everything and like no one there was wearing a mask nobody cared and then the next day you're in like a town like you know austin where people are playing it very safe and just just interesting to like just hear all the different you know takes on on what people believe and you know how all these guys are just playing off of that and watching people get so divided so passionately behind like what they believe is right or you know just that part of it was very bizarre to me yeah that's like social media i don't know it's it's one of those things where social media you have to be like it's so binary um you're either a zero or a one and like if you're not like the other you know you you're a fucking idiot you know what i mean like that's how the people treat you and it's i think it's all because of like the there's no nuance like on twitter I love Twitter, but like, it's such a, you can't, there's, there's no room for nuance in 280 characters. You can't like show all the, uh, the exceptions or like the, um, I don't know, like maybe like I'm a little bit more okay with saying like, I don't know. And like, it feels like there's no room for even admitting that it's up in the air for you. You know what I mean? Where like, everyone kind of always feels like they have to at least present or have that front that like they know all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just was like, man, I mean, we're like, it just was bizarre to me that we're one, you know, we're just shut down and like couldn't go out, do something even if you wanted to. Yeah. And, um, it was really bizarre. Just really bizarre year. But, um, try to just reflect it in art, you know, by making these, these tracks and these videos and stuff that kind of stuff maybe one day we'll look back and remember this whole thing. Yeah. Well, one of those things that like, I don't know, is it's, I'm kind of like you as far as being kind of okay to be just by myself. You know, I, it didn't bother me the isolation nearly as much as it has like other people. And that's been eye opening is like people that you know, that you just need to need, um, to be around other people. Um, where like I'm, I was kind of fine just being by myself, you know, and like all the, the mental health aspects of that have yeah. like been very, very eye opening. I think we, 
as a nation kind of took a lot of things to obviously for granted, but especially on that side, as far as like what isolation can do. Um, when it, when it also comes to like just having this amount of time, um, I think a lot of people thought like everyone was just going to write songs and like, you know, Oh, 2021, 2022, there's going to be a lot of records out. And I don't know if like that's going to be the case as far as a lot of new material um, that was written during the quarantine per se. I think it's a lot of people holding back records um, because I don't know if the, the time the the situation as far as like being given an entire year and told like this is like a blank canvas um writer record was never necessarily conducive for a lot of creative people i think like a lot of people ended up doing other things well i mean how uh how inspired are you to create when you're like when you have no idea what's going to happen in like a month, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it was very, it's a very hard place to write from. I think like, I think writing a lot of times for me comes from a place of like feeling good, feeling healthy. I mean, even if I'm, you know, if I'm on a bender, which I'm known to be, I don't always get things done. You know, obviously it's like, you're just kind of, kind of wasting away a little bit. So I think, I don't know. I think that having the balance of like working, then going out, seeing friends, going to see a show, going and being a part of life, just like letting life happen is actually what inspires things. So it was hard to be, it was hard to feel inspired to create anything that wasn't sort of like a downer. Right. You know? And so I don't, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Some people did write a lot last year. I, I, I wrote a little bit. I wouldn't say that I wrote a lot. Like I was more making like making things like videos and yeah, recording. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the heart and soul of the Lubbock singer-songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas Americana country and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the blue light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the blue light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows, as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time any of those specials that may be happening while there go check out their merch page they have a wide range of hats koozies hoodies sweaters beanies jackets and so much more you can of course get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band take the stage at blue light just ask the bartender and they will get you all set speaking of which that's another great way of seeing who's playing there just go to the blue light It's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. I feel like if you wrote a bunch last year, you were probably already kind of writing at a high clip, you know. Before then, yeah. Yeah. it's, It's been interesting as far as you know, pointing back to you, Josh, as far as having that last record come out at the very beginning of the quarantine. Right. Um, you know, you, you weren't given like the, the space to play a lot of those songs, uh, the way you, you, you obviously wished you had like a, the album rollout, you know what I mean? It was kind of a, uh, stunted at, at some point. Um, I guess like, how do you, 
I guess, stay in touch with those songs? And, like, do you, you know, is it one of those things that you feel, um, you know, that have you moved on to other songs already, like, where you're more excited about a new project or whatever, um, and that you have to kind of, I don't know, not necessarily let go of the, the songs of the last record, but um, I guess do you feel like you have to come back and get in touch with them to, to play again? There are some songs on the record <clears throat> that I still haven't played live um, just because I haven't really been, I haven't played any full band shows. I've only played a handful of full band shows. And there are three or four tracks in the record that really only work with a band. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I will have to get in touch with those songs again um, at some point. But, you know, that was my second record, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if I go out and play a 90-minute headliner set, I'm going to play all my songs from both records and then new stuff, too. So, you know, I'm not at a point in my career where I can, like, forget about chunks of my catalog or whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to have to relearn a couple songs from, from Glad You Made It. And... Uh, I mean, I look forward to playing them in front of people. Uh, you know, you put all this work into a record anticipating getting to actually go play them. And i it's crazy to think it's been, uh, the album's been out for a little over a year now. And some of those songs still haven't been played in front of a real person. Yeah. So, pretty wild. Yeah. When, when it comes to you went kind of the other route, not necessarily that you... Uh, even knew the option not that you knew that there was going to be a quarantine or a pandemic happening when you released the record um, so well, like it was kind of early enough on but I could have pulled the plug like my first single came out March 7th I think and South by was cancelled on the 11th and so we announced the record I don't even know if we announced the record, but the single came out for Voices, the video. Mm -hmm. I had a big Rolling Stone write-up and all this buzz. I just started a press campaign. And there was this, I mean, it took like two weeks. We met like, I don't know, 10 times, like me, the label, the PR guy, the whole team. And we're like, what do we do? You know, we're looking at data. We're like, is it going to clear up in two months? Do we book the end of the summer? Like what, you know, like how do we do this? And I think the original release date was in like June for the record. We ended up putting it out in July. I was like, let's push it by a month, see what happens. Maybe we do a tour in late summer. And of course, none of that happened. But um, we did put the record out. And, you know, like once I realized I wasn't going to be able to play the record, I just put all my focus into making other content like you, like videos. Like, um, I taught myself how to do some video work. Nathan from Ottoman Turks learned how to do editing, and we set off to make as many low-budget videos as we could, and we made four or five. Um, and I think, you know, maybe all together, like, we might have spent two grand or something on, like, five music videos. That's so, great. yeah, it was, like, literally shot on our iPhones. Um and I'm really proud of them. They're like some of my favorite videos we've done. So, and they were a lot of fun to make. And um, it was the only interaction I had with people. You know, it was like meeting yeah. up with Nathan and making stuff with friends. So, yeah. You uh, you said you had a had the record ready for a 2020 release. You went ahead and shelved it. Um, does, are you going to just be releasing it the way it is, or? It, um, you, well, I've already released four tracks off of it, mm -hmm. so I've got I've got another six in the can, like waiting the wings. I'm going to release one probably next month at some point. I don't know exactly when. I mean, I'm I'm freewheeling so hard these days, like just kind of I'm going to do it when the video is ready. Um, but I made a I made a really cool video, like probably the best visual thing I've ever done. I met this guy in Austin that is a director and has like a production company and we kind of were hanging around Samstown Point which is the bar that I'm kind of the honky-tonk bar that I live behind in South Austin and we were kind of hanging out there and I 
told him about, well, basically he told me he did videos and stuff. And I was like, well, I do music and blah, blah, blah. We ended up playing him the record and he fell in love with this song called Moon and Stars. It's like a, it's like an indie rock ballad song almost. It's kind of, it's, it's cool, but it, it really hit his, it hit the nerve with him and he was wanted to do it, but then he wanted to, uh, I had this concept for like, we're going to use my Corvette. It's this cheesy old eighties Corvette. We're going to use that. We're going to put it in front of green screen and we're going to like do all this kind of like weird um, space stuff with like the car. And um, he was like so in love with it and then wanted to take the production to the next level. And so then we got into this super deep dive into this, making this video with like robotics arm at this nice studio with like all this film footage. So it just like turned into a massive project. And so that got kind of delayed and delayed and delayed. And I, so now I'm looking at like, it's probably going to be done next week. We'll probably release it next month. And with that, I'm probably going to announce the, the rest of the album, which will be out like by the end of the year. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just, what can you do? I mean, I, I own my, my own record label at this point. So I'm just like, I can do whatever I want now. You know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, why not just release it whenever, whenever you want? Like, you don't even really have to plan anything. It can just be like, because, you I mean, honestly, I don't think I'm even going to print CDs or anything. Like, I might print vinyl at some point. But it's almost like we're back to this, this time, you know, when the Beatles came out and stuff, where it was like, you release 45, like, singles. And then when you have enough singles, or when there's a hit, then you put together a record. Yeah. But until then, you just you just release singles until there's something that grabs, and then you're like, oh, okay, now we can sell a full-length record. I, mean, I kind of feel like we're getting into that territory with the streaming stuff nowadays, because the way the, the streaming algorithms and stuff work, it almost behooves you to release singles instead of full records. So... I, I don't know. I'm I'm still a full record guy. And this this these these songs are going to be on a full record, but but it seems like it's been fine to just release like one or two every couple months. Like I don't I, you know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wish I was like breakneck pace just release an album like every 6 months. And I'm going to try to do that next year, but you know, it's tricky because of the you know costs and the time and stuff right. like that. So you gotta gotta manage all that stuff. But but we are in a different age. I mean, I can literally. It's almost like loading a photo to Instagram. I can load a track to to all the Spotify, Apple Music. It can be there tomorrow. Yeah. Like it's so fast. How fast you can turn it these days. Well, how how is it all like? I mean, it's, it plays into this as well where. You know, you mentioned, you know, recording at your house. Yeah. Um, where before you were going into a studio and, right. and cutting. And it may even be like a day or two here or there or whatever. But really at, at home, you can kind of just do that day or two nonstop. Yeah. I had to, I mean, I had to save up and really like spend a lot of money to get to the quality mm -hmm. where what I'm getting at my house could be say parallel to what I would get in a studio. So it wasn't like an overnight thing where I was just like, Oh, I have a studio now. It right. definitely took years of, of like buying stuff, having the equipment, getting the mics, the preamps. But the real big breakthrough for me was I did a, I did a commercial for Jack Daniels and it was a really, it was a worldwide, like they, they bought the track for me. It was, I specifically made it just for them. And that was like the first time that I was just like thrust into like having extra money doing music like all the other year all the years until now i've just been like sort of really having to be smart and plot and plan and this was a time where i was like all right i'm gonna buy those 414s and those those you know wonder audio pre's and the stuff that just it is really it's not cheap you know it's cost more than my cars you know a lot of the stuff like um, cause I have all these old cars that I like to work on. So they're not that expensive or anything, but it's like some of these things cost more than these cars. So it, but it took that time and it took getting those jobs and then, you know, having other artists be like, Hey, I want to record with you. 
to where I was like, I have the confidence. Okay, if I spend this kind of money on this thing, I'm going to use it. So I was kind of lucky that when the, the like, shutdown happened that I already had all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so then it was just kind of, it was just, I was enabled and enable. And now I'm, I'm really able to just like pick other bands and other artists where I'm like, I like them. I want to help them. It's been fun, man. Just like pulling people in and making, making tracks and making records and just trying to stay creative. Yeah. When it, when it comes to like that record, um, do you, like, okay, so you've had it for like a year. I've uh, had it since, you know. Well, I've had some of this stuff for two years now that okay. I've been sitting on. Well, like, do you, uh, do you set it there and, like, just leave it alone? Or is, is there any of that little voice in the back of the head that says, hey, we, we can change this? Or, like, oh, this needs to Oh, be. of course. Do you, change uh, things? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got the Willis Allen Ramsey syndrome. I'm like, I'm never going to release my next record because I'm working on it for 30 years. Like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for sure. But at the same time, once you've paid for the mastering and you've paid for the mixing, like I didn't really, I, I went kind of big on this one. Like I, I had it mixed by Rob Schnaff and I had it mastered by Ted Jensen. And so, I mean, at that point, it's kind of like, you can't really like, go back <laughs> on it. It's like too much, Pence paid too much money, man. But um, yeah, of course. Of course. I re-recorded Old Friends. So I did record that and then I had it I had it mastered and everything. And I, I like kind of got to the like last summer and I was like, man, I don't think this is the right recording for this. So I re-recorded it and had it mastered and did all that. So for that track I actually did do what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> but you know, I guess like everyone has like those lost songs that never get put on records. One of my favorite songs that you've done, and like it's only on YouTube, is "Walk On By." Yeah. And you guys like did the that video like an Alpine. Yeah. Like at a motel. Yeah, yeah. I I just uh, yeah. Sometimes you you write it and then you lose the luster of it. Of it, you know, it's just kind of like it's like it's falling falling in love too fast or something, and then like kind of wake up like what wait <laughs> no i like the song i mean there's plenty of songs that are lost in the in the it's just kind of like gotta have that initial inspiration you know that that part that, that part of you that's like i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna do this thing you know that part of you that it, that's inspired to like clean the garage when like usually you don't want to now once you lose that that inspiration it's hard to recreate it for me, I just lose interest. Yeah, I mean it's it's understandable how to, I like I guess like this the, the dedication to it necessarily or like the uh, the, it's not like necessarily even a work ethic. It's just like the discipline, I guess. For like sure. Returning. There's definitely. I mean, you gotta be disciplined for anything that you want to be good at, and uh, the work ethic. I mean, just separates people from other people. I mean. Like, you can look at somebody like Charlie Crockett and be like, I totally understand why he is where he is because he, I've seen how hard he works. He's like the hardest working dude that I know. Yeah. He just never stops. And so it's hard to keep up, like, you know, because most people are just not wired to be going, like, at that pace. And so I definitely think that helps with whatever you're doing. Yeah. Speaking of a record every six months. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I, I, it blows my mind how he's just continually releasing records and then like keeping up at the same pace as far as it never feels like there's like a, uh, a record or, or even necessarily even a song that you kind of go, Oh, he's phoning this one. You know, it's always just high quality stuff. I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer up a quick Thomas Mooney's cocktail minute. As I've said probably a hundred times by now, by no means am I a seasoned mixologist or bartender, but these have been some of my Desert Door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some Desert Door, 
and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges never fails. This one, it's so simple it probably doesn't even count, but again, pretty foolproof. Do the exact same thing, but get you a Mexican Coca-Cola. I guess you can go with a regular one, but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the Mexican import variety. All right, here's the change up you've been waiting for, Desert Door Sangria. This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know, that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep, and honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now, you're going to want to stir that all up and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, add some Desert Door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar, and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in. Put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria. Chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich in balance, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. Going back to that, to the to the creative side, the writing, um, that discipline. You know, you, you talk about the getting that inspiration and wanting to go home and do it, write the song. Um, is it, is it, is there a, another component of it for, for you as you get, as you've aged, uh, um, that you try and work on something every day or, or is it still just kind of waiting for those moments to hit you? I've like, I've gotten a lot more structured over the last three years. Like, I didn't know that songwriters sat down and wrote songs on purpose, like, as a job. I didn't even know that was a thing until maybe 2018 or something. So um, when I learned that, I started trying it, and at first I wasn't good at it. And it's just like a muscle you got to work out. But it's, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, I have this whole kind of backlog of ideas and notes and whatever that I keep and I guess because I didn't sit down and write all the time for the first 10 years I was writing or whatever I wrote really slow and but I have like all these notes uh which eventually I guess I'll run out of but I I, I kind of have a lot to draw from because I've just been writing down little ideas forever and never got around to writing them so when I sit down to write I have a decent amount of stuff to to pull from so during the pandemic I definitely like tried to give myself some structure to like sit down at least three times a week or whatever and and write a song and I I cranked out a bunch of songs over the pandemic and tried to start pitching them to other people like eventually I'd really like to get into you know just being a songwriter and having other people cut my my stuff so that's nice when that happens yeah, it's I haven't had a cut yet, but maybe one day. Yeah, I think like that's where you're talking about. You get the inspiration for the idea. Ray Wiley Hubbard actually talks about this in a way that makes sense, a lot of sense to me. Like you get the initial inspiration, you try to write a, as much of it down or capture it on a voice memo as you can while it's coming out, even if it's gibberish. Just get as much as you can of it documented and recorded. If you can write a whole song in one sitting, great. Once that inspiration leaves, then you've got to get to the like discipline part, which is the part of refining it, kind of taking the time to like, you know, critique it. Right. But I think if you start critiquing it when you're inspired, you won't finish it. 
Because you, you'll 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 kind of it's like you dam the river up right. by critiquing it. So or it's better to convince yourself it's not good enough. Right. Exactly. So as your critical mind starts to get involved. It's like you kind of have to be like speaking in tongues or something. You kind of have to just like let it let it flow, then come back. And I think that's where the that's where the discipline of it kind of comes in. But if you're if you're just forcing songs through discipline, I think that it's they're gonna feel that way. Whereas like something that's inspired will always have this this sort of unique thing to it because it's a lot of times for me like an inspired idea it doesn't necessarily follow like a rule or some sort of mental construct. It's more just like a feeling and it just flows. So I, I mean, I always try to like make sure that what I'm putting out comes from that place because I just feel like it's it's gonna grab other people in that same soul place, you know, in that cerebral sort of world that that we listen like people who really I like love music, people who like listen to it in their cars, and people who like you know listen to it in the morning. Some people put on headphones. Like those are the people I'm talking about that you, you know they get off on that feeling of like connecting to a recording, you know, it's, it's, right. it's a magical thing that kind of takes you out of your mind for a little while and takes you into this like soul sort of place. And that, so I think if you can write from that place or get inspired from that place, you know, why wouldn't it connect to other people who connect to that same place? It's like, we're all kind of coming from the same. So I don't know. It's cause I've done the Nashville deal where you go in and you just bring in your laptop and you're, your briefcase and you sit down like you're at a, a meeting and you do it five times a week and sometimes three three times in one day and it's just like to me that just feels it's not I'm not that kind of writer there's people who can do it and they're they're phenomenal and it's their gift but for me it doesn't work that way so I try to I, that's why I'm like so diversified with like what I'm working on whether it's recording somebody else recording myself or going on the road or you know whatever it is it's just like I've got a lot of little things going and I if I keep it kind of like diverse like that then I never get tired of one thing like it's like I'm not going to get tired of touring because I'm, I'm going to be doing some of this other stuff and then I'm going to get you know by the by the time I'm tired of recording I'm like going to go back out on tour trying to find that balance yeah yeah you mentioned that laptop and briefcase Nashville writing session. Yeah. So I've been going to Nashville since 2018 to write with people. And I actually have gotten into a flow where like, I like, I like the Nashville writing, uh, circuit when you find the writers that you like yeah. writing with. And it's always like, you know, a couple of people in a room with acoustic guitars and that works. Well, my last trip, I, I uh, got put onto some, more pop leaning um sessions and like i had no idea that producers sit in on writing sessions like that there will be a guy in there just building a track yeah like no instruments in the room just two songwriters and a producer coming up with lyrics ideas whatever and, th and this guy's building a track and when they leave there's like this finished demo track mm -hmm. produced with drum you know drums yeah. and whatever all in the box and I thought that concept was so weird. And then at my next session, I was doing three sessions a day. I went for 10 days and wrote two or three times a day. And it was awesome because like I hadn't done anything in 16 months. So it just felt so good to like be doing something again. Yeah. And, uh, I wrote with this, this female country singer who is also a writer and like, there was no accompaniment. Like I got there and we were riding together for the first time. And she was like, I'm used to there being like a producer or some sort of accompaniment or whatever. And so she didn't have an instrument and I was like playing guitar and it was just like so much pressure. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> but it was cause it was like more of a pop session and not like a, you know, songwriter. Who's the girl? I, I won't say over uh over the podcast, <laughs> but you weren't talking bad about it. No, I wasn't talking bad about it. You know, it's just. Did you get any songs that thing. you uh, that you like, like you used, out of those sessions? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's actually like two that I like quite a bit that I'm thinking about doing something with, and um, 
a couple other songs that I like that I think are probably going to hopefully get cut by somebody else or the artist that I was working with. And, uh, you know, I got to uh, write with, spacing on his name right now, but the guy who co-wrote a lot of the K-Mag Yo-Yo stuff with Hayes, um, we uh, worked on a song. John Evans? Or? No. I spaced. You guys can Google it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, we wrote a song that I actually like a lot that I'll probably do something with. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've wrote one with a guy named Rustin Kelly, this girl, Angel Snow, called To Love Is To Fly. Mm-hmm. And the day that, I, that that happened, I was supposed to be meeting up with this guy, Emerson Hart. He was uh, in that, he was in a band... I can't remember what they're called right now. It's a, they were they were kind of a big '90s band, mm-hmm. had some big hits. He's part of the ownership of that pilgrimage festival, mm-hmm. and so I I show up at his house in Franklin and like nobody's there, and I was just like, God, what what is this? You know, kind of just feeling you know like that the songwriter blues like, they're the my publishing peeps were like, well, there's a songwriting session happening with Rustin and Angel in on Music Row, you should go jump in on it. And so I was like, all right, got nothing else to do today now that this this other one canceled. And that's where we, I, I show up and we wrote To Love Is To Fly, which I ended up cutting with Nikki. Mm-hmm. And I love the song, but it was one of those things where it was like a total accident. But I remember the first time I went out to Nashville. Um, I mean, I was green, dude. I mean, I was freaking green. Had never even done a co-write. Yeah, and I had never co-written. I didn't even know people did co-write. I thought people just wrote their songs. And then, so my first co-write ever was in Nashville also. I got thrown in with Angelo Petragalia, who was like kind of the Kings of Leon's guy. I just remember feeling really nervous, really like high pressure, like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to come up with stuff. But I, I'm too, you know, not always like just to dial it up and write a song right now kind of a person. So we became friends, but I, I, I don't think we ever finished the song. Really? Yeah. My first writing session was with Arliss Albritton. He like, he's part of the Key West Songwriter Festival. Oh, nice. And stuff. And he has some, he has some pretty big cuts. Um, and so I was super nervous. And it was my first time co-writing ever. And you don't, like, I, I had no idea what you were even supposed to do. Like, is there some sort of pecking order? Do you just throw out whatever comes to mind? Do you only say it if you think it isn't stupid? Because if that's the case, I might never say anything. You know? Like, <laughs> Dude, I think that actually works better. If it's the stupider it is, the better for the uh, some of those Nashville songs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's almost like if you could turn somebody's head with something ridiculous, like that, that Sometimes it really works. I don't know. I remember <laughs> I went into a session and they were like, somebody, and I don't remember who it was with, but she was like, you know, what if we started like, work hard, play harder? And I was like, oh God, this is <laughs> off to a terrible start. <laughs> I would never say that. <laughs> work hard, play harder. Was it a hit? I mean, we didn't. We just batted it around for like two hours and then left. And I don't think anything came of it. And I should have just like left right then, like right after that. Just been like, all right, I gotta go. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna waste our time. See the. I've heard like so many different people as far as the. You know, you gotta hang out for a minute and like let it, let your let it have a develop a relationship of, of sorts, right? And try and figure out what what works for both of you but the funniest person i've heard is like waylon Payne, who is like if it's not happening in like 10 minutes i'm gone yeah like and that's kind of like <laughs> you know that's it's kind of amazing like well that's what that, i mean you kind of know like you kind of know yeah you know what i mean it's like kind of know right when you get into it like i don't really like this or i really like it yeah you know? I, what i was going to ask about to love is to fly is was that something that you already had or was that from them or did it just happen in the it moment? totally came totally came up with it on the spot and uh it was just kind of like you know really started off of like a joke line like just a ridiculous line like 
let's get wasted and do some cocaine was the like I, I said that and just kind of was like that's the most ridiculous start to a song like why not and um, yeah those guys they, they were really helpful Rustin and Angel Snow they're both great writers yeah do you ever feel that like in those kind of situations clearly like everyone has their own sound but when it, when it comes to like the Nashville thing um, and not necessarily like in that top 40 kind of way but just like that way of writing when you do have like three people in the room do you ever feel like you're brought in to be oh, we need that guy a, a certain voice and like whatever your thing is for maybe if it's another artist wanting to cut a song they want a song like a Jonathan sure. Tyler song does that make sense that yeah. question yeah but I mean it doesn't it doesn't seem like that happens to me very much it's more like more like production stuff maybe that happens like these days but I haven't had like a ton of people try to I don't know like that maybe I'm like I said I'm a little hide out a little bit too much sometimes yeah. I'm not really the artist that's like backstage kissing ass yeah. like I, I cannot stand that like just watching people glad hand and sort of bullshit with each other to try to jump up a rung on the ladder like that just drives me crazy so i usually am like in in a lot of those situations where you see people try to i'm usually kind of like if i'm not friends with a lot of people i'm not really one to like go up to an artist and try to like win them over i'm kind of more if it if i'm introduced or it's a natural thing then but typically i i just want to avoid that whole vibe of just like because the music industry is like that's kind of what it is like honestly like I mean I hate to say it but like it's just so much ass kissing and just like people that move to a city to try to make it you know so it's like their their whole motive of everything is just to like get more famous or get right you know and it and it's just kind of gross yeah Cause I can very much see like someone looking at Josh and being like, okay, he's got like this honky tonk country thing, this high and lonesome feel. Um, do we, we want to get him in the room cause we want a song like that. And he's going to maybe give us some street cred. You ever feel, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, there have been some times more recently. Um, cause no one even, you know, no one even knew I existed <laughs> until kind of recently. So, uh, yeah, there's. I feel like I do a thing. It's I write sad shit, and it, the lyrics are kind of quirky and whatever. So there have been some people who have reached out because they want a little, you know, they want to do something that leans that direction. Um, right. And and it's been fun. It's been fun to be like, okay, what's your experience? let's try to figure out how to wrap it in this thing that I do. Um, you know, I like collaborating with people on stuff and it's been, it's been fun. It is like, you know, you were saying like, do people go and seek out certain people for certain sessions? And they do. I mean, I feel like once you find a couple writers you like, a lot of people just stay together in that bubble, you know, yeah. and write with those people. But also like, I f- the way I look at songwriting sessions is like everybody is good at something and all the there are roles that need to be fulfilled you know and like I love writing with my producer John Pedigo like even if I have rights set up with other people I always try to get him in on the right because he's uh, he really understands like structural changes that'll make a song better he's super organized he writes everything down that everyone says so like you can remember everything and he always he has a knack for finding that perfect like word that makes the whole line lock together and you know whatever he can be the glue so like he does those things where like you know I'm good at coming up with verses 
or whatever, or the or concepts, or maybe like thematic, you know, stories or whatever over the words we're already coming up with. So like, what we both need is someone who's good at hooks. So we go to Nashville and we're like, okay, well this guy can write a hook and I can write all the filler words and John knows how to structure it into a song. And so if you put those three people in a room, you come out with something, you know, worthwhile. So I kind of think of it as like building blocks, you know, like you're, you're putting together the team that's going to make the best song, hopefully, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Oh, it does. You guys want to go get a beer? Sure. Yeah. I think they're about to open up where they are open, maybe. It's been great talking with y'all. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. It's it's good to be back. Yeah. See see you doing your thing. (laughs) All right. That is it for this one. Be sure to check out our presenting partners over at Desert Door and the Blue Light Live. Hit that subscribe button. Check something out over on the merch store. Look out on the horizon for something from Jonathan Tyler. Go check out that last Ottoman Turks record with Joshua Ray Walker. And yeah, I'll see y'all next week for more episodes of New Slang. <laughs>